Only at the movies and in the bus, train and wherever else you're listening, this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. Does it bother you that I'm not completely human? You are the most human person I have ever met. Before Oscar winner Mahershala Ali was Oscar winner Mahershala Ali, he shot a futuristic CGI fest with James Cameron called Alita Battle Angel. When I hold you in my arms, I gotta hold our baby in my arms. We'll find a way. Barry Jenkins directed Moonlight to Best Picture. Can he do it again with his new film, If Beale Street Could Talk? I don't trust women who don't get dudes. Like I don't trust a man with no eyebrows and too many keys. Mel Gibson once purported to know what women want. I think it has become abundantly clear he was wrong. In the meantime, Hollywood has offered up what men want. Ryan, I'm back. Undulate, people! Uh, who's this crazy white girl? If you listened last week, nothing has changed. I still haven't seen the trailer to the new horror Happy Death Day to you, but these two have seen the film, so we'll talk about that. Hello, hello. My name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vary McIntyre and Michael Campbell hello. both have. Now, we've got a Village Cinemas Golf Class double pass to give away, as always, a little later on, but first... You told me the story of the war, when the ground shook and the sky burned. Of the ones that survived, who awoke to a different world. Where the powerful prey on the weak. But that's not the way it has to be. Robert Rodriguez is known for creating the dystopian cineverses of films like Sin City. Gritty, genre-filled tributes to films gone by Death Proof, Grindhouse, Planet Terror, but also Spy Kids 1, 2, 3 and 4. So the question then of the James Cameron-produced CGI fest that is Alita Battle Angel must be, is this for 18-year-olds or 8-year-olds? Definitely suited for a teenage audience, but me as a 30-something-year-old, I still really enjoyed it as well. It's post-apocalyptic, it's a bit cyberpunk. It's about a leader who's a cyborg and she's found in this garbage dump and brought back to life by Dr. Ido. And she has no memory of who she is, but there are powerful forces, both human and cyborg, that are trying to kill her. And she's trying to remember who she is and why she's there. Yeah, this movie is a long time coming. This has been in development for almost 20 years, I think. 20? I was thinking Originally, several, yeah. it was going to be uh, his follow-up to Titanic, James Cameron's follow-up to Titanic. He brought the mm. rights back in the 90s. Like, this was is my next thing. Was it a book or a comic? It was a manga series. Yeah, a manga. There's like three in the series, I believe. Uh, nine. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's up to nine. Um, and it was like his big passion project. Uh, and then once he made Avatar, he was like, I think we can do this now. Like, the technology is there. But, and this is an actual quote from James Cameron, he said, I'm no longer in the movie business, I'm in the avatar business. <laughs> so he has like handed the reins off to Robert Rodriguez, which I kind of think is a good thing because you can see the passion for it, but also I think Robert Rodriguez is kind of like a spectacular director for taking something that seems unadaptable, like Sin City, for example, that was so mm. stylish that you're like, how could you ever make it a film? And then making it work. So it really surprised me watching all the trades and stuff. I didn't really particularly like the look of it. But watching it, it's full of that James Cameron like heart and that mm. Robert Rodriguez ability to adapt something that you shouldn't be able to see on screen and make it so. Yeah, and we saw it in 3D as well. And normally when I watch something 3D, it makes my eyes hurt. <laughs> and they try to make it 3D for you and they make things come out of the screen at you and it's yeah. all just a bit too much. But this one... What it did was just give the world some depth. Mm. They didn't make it feel like a 3D movie. 
it just looked like I was watching something 3D. I you always, know what I mean? I always think this as well. Like, because to be honest, after after a while, I didn't really notice the 3D too much. Yeah. But I think that you notice bad 3D, but you don't notice good 3D. So even the mm, fact yeah. that I stopped noticing it meant that it just kind of incorporated into the film, which is something I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. The last movie that was this good with 3D was maybe Hugo from like 2012. Oh, yeah. So that's almost like five, six years mm. since I've seen something that worked this well in 3D. Mm. It's amazing. Every single time James Cameron is involved in a picture, the first thing everyone's talking about is the making of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's about the technology. It's about yeah. the 3D elements. It's not about like the story or like who's in this or is it just computers? Elite is the only one with a computer body. <laughs> Everyone else is basically human except the uh, the villains are all cyborgs and they're pretty cool. Elite is played by Rosa Salazar, who's from The Maze Runner. Mahershala Ali is in it, who was just in Green Book, and Jennifer Connelly from Labyrinth. And I yeah. loved her as a villain. I really liked Rosa Salazar. I think yeah. she, if she didn't work, then the movie wouldn't work. But she mm. has like... Sometimes people call it the Spielberg face, which is that like awestruck wonder, jaw dropping kind of thing you see in like Jurassic Park and stuff like that. Mm. But she has that kind of like whimsy to her because she's discovering this world as she. Uh, That's the face, discovery. Yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like uh, even just the first time she tries an orange in, in the movie, it's just this like childish wonder and innocence, mm. but also she's like a badass. If she didn't work, then the movie wouldn't work. And oh, I think yeah. she was great. Her story arc is so huge that she has to go from being this cyborg who doesn't know anything about the world and just wakes up to discovering who she is and right at the end it's this huge journey but also with the wide-eyed wonder and I use that as a pun because she's got huge eyes (laughs) (laughs) that again with this sort of uncanny you'll notice if it's bad but it was good because I stopped noticing that yeah. her eyes are huge. I was just all through the trailers and whatnot. I remember I said to someone it might be a problem because I don't like looking at her Yeah, because <laughs> she has these kind of because they try to make her look like a manga character and yeah. normally they're kind of stylized with bigger eyes and kind of like exaggerated features and in all the it's trailers and filter. what kind of like a Snapchat probably what filter. most people have seen <laughs> yeah. yeah the big eyed Snapchat filter mm. and in the trailers, I found it kind of jarring, but weirdly in the context of the movie and maybe just because it kind of settles you into that before they really even kind of introduce her, mm. I didn't really notice it. It goes with the cyborg body. There's something different about her, so she stands out in a good way, not a bad way. This body, I feel a connection to it. I can't explain. You know more about me than you're saying. Alita, some things have been left forgotten. Often films that are dripping in this amount of computer graphics, their story can be lost. What's, like, is there good performance in this? Does everyone get an arc or is it just Alita? I would say that it comes down to two main relationships in the film. It's nice that it's it's not a film about the end of the world or anything like that. It's actually mm. a film kind of about personal relationships. There's two. There's one I think is really, really great, which is between Alita and uh, her, I guess, creator slash father figure who's played by Christoph Waltz, who isn't playing a villain, which is always kind of (laughs) nice. And then there's the second relationship, which is her and her, like her kind of love interest, which Mm. fell a little flat for me there. That one was a little cheesy and by the numbers, uh, but the father-daughter storyline I thought was really good. And that's kind of the main driving force behind the movie, which again is a very James Cameron-y kind of twist on it. But that's what works because you've got both. You've got the giant visuals and all this this delight on the screen to watch but also it's got a story that makes you interested and you're invested in it and like by the end I was like so rooting for this character did 
didn't I tell you to be home before dark? I just lost track of time. Alita, you have to be responsible. You are someone very special. Hey, kid. Not just a teenage girl. Hey, what's your problem? You can't remember. What do you mean? Doc found you in the scrapyard. So you must be from up there. And I'm just an insignificant girl. That's what they want you to think. This movie has one of my favorite things, which is when a director, especially like Robert Rodriguez, who, by the way, I I really love him as a filmmaker. I watch all these 10-minute film scores and all the home releases he does. But when a director... Yes. Oh, I mean, the last one I really watched was on Grindhouse. Oh, Grindhouse. Those sorts of, yeah, like shorts. Yeah. Yeah. And he's big into kind of like sharing his secrets and how he does stuff. And and he's very well respected in the indie filmmaking world. But I love it when a director inadvertently kind of puts himself in a character in the film. And this happens Mm -hmm. every now and then. I don't know if you've ever seen behind the scenes photos of the movie Inception. So Chris Nolan has always got the slick back hair. He's got a little suit on, a little scruffy beard. And then there's behind-the-scenes footage of him of in Inception uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, who you notice in that film, slicked back hair, a bit of a scruffy beard and a suit. And it's kind of the Chris Nolan of that movie. And Michael Bay in The Fifth Transformers, he made Mark Wahlberg grow his hair long, wear a little trucker cap, and he kind of looks like a mini Michael yeah, well, Bay. I've always thought that Transformers 5 was the masterpiece <laughs> of the Transformers what series. what I love in Alita is there is the love interest, the young, hunky love interest, yeah. who's wearing a bandana and a black leather biker jacket, oh, which yeah. for anyone that knows Robert Rodriguez mm. is what he is known for wearing. Yeah. And I love the idea that he must have been like, I don't know why, but something about this seems cool <laughs> to me. I want him to look yeah. like this. Ethnically ambiguous, I yeah. think they described him as as well. So. But if mm. you were to look up a picture of Robert Rodriguez, and then the, the character from this, it looks like he's cosplaying as, <laughs> as Robert Rodriguez. And I love when directors do it. But more than that, and I don't know if you recognize this, towards the end, there's a James Cameron as well. Oh, no. There's a character that looks a lot like James Cameron, a big authority figure. And I remember thinking, they've done it twice. <laughs> so who should see this film? I mean, if you're like me and you were kind of on the fence about it and you thought a leader looked a bit weird, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it, which shouldn't come as a surprise because James Cameron's a a fantastic filmmaker, and Robert Rodriguez has a history of being able to pull this kind of stuff off. I know a lot of friends who enjoyed the manga and who know the story of Alita as well, so they're really going to appreciate it, and they shouldn't be worried that they've done a disservice to the books or the mangas. They did a really good job. You ready for this? I've never been more ready for anything in my whole life. I'm yours in your mind, and that's it. You and me all the time. Honey, there's something I gotta tell you. Barry Jenkins is making the most exciting films in the world right now. I reckon he won the Oscar for Best Picture with Moonlight, which is his debut film. That's his first film winning Best Film of that year. And he's returning with another story of love in black America, this time from 1970s Harlem in New York City. Yeah, I think Barry Jenkins, more than anyone I can think of recently, has had like the most meteoric instant 
rise to huge success. Epic. And I think it's fair to say that this film, off the back of Moonlight doing so, was pretty hotly anticipated. And it's very Barry Jenkins in a lot of its themes and whatnot. So the story, for those that don't know, and as you said, it's set in the 1970s in Harlem. It kind of plays in a couple of different timelines. There is the timeline of Tish and Fonny falling in love, and then you cut to the future, and Fonny is actually in prison for something that, you know, a crime he didn't commit, and they're trying to get him out of prison because there's a baby on the way and they need to get their family back together. And it's a very kind of kitchen sink drama. What do you mean by that? Kitchen sink drama. So family life, home life, things like that. Uh, But it's like prestige drama as well. Yeah, if I could describe this movie in one word, it would be gentle. And the way that it's shot, there's these lingering scenes on people's faces and it really brings you into the moment and uh, to appreciate the gravity of the situation and to connect with the characters and that goes against everything that is happening in the film, even though that the music is delicate, mm. the relationships are wholesome, and I felt like it was a gentle journey that I was going on. Yeah. It's it's about this man who's accused of a violent crime. Mm. It's about relationships and how black men are targeted for things they may not have done and how hard it is to grow up in this environment especially in Harlem in the 70s, but yeah. even now. I think if, if there was one word I would describe, it's beautiful. It's shot beautifully. It's acted beautifully. The story is heartbreaking, but in that kind of like you'll cry from sadness but also kind of happiness at the end kind of beauty. Well, it was based on a James Baldwin novel yes. from the early 70s, a yeah. famous black writer from America. Yeah, mm. exactly. And, and Moonlight had something almost indescribable in which every scene, no matter what, was completely captivating in one way or the other. It doesn't quite ever reach that height, but it is just like tears above everything else that is out in the moment as far as actual quality drama that is released in the last 12 months. You know what I felt during this? That because there's the flashbacks to the couple's relationship. Yeah. That child was born of sin. That child... It's your grandchild. What difference does it make how he gets here? Unbow your head, sister. We've known Bonnie all his life. He's about to pay for something he didn't do. These are our children, and we gotta set them free. This film was kind of a masterclass in two things, I think. One is art direction. Even the opening shot is so beautifully art directed. They're in matching kind of blue and yellow clothing. It's autumn. Mm. The trees are all kind of yellowy, golden, and the sky is blue. It looks like a painting. It's so beautiful. And everything is kind of color matched in that way and all the clothes complement each other. And then direction. There, there's an entire scene in a warehouse in which Fonny is trying to explain to Tish, look, this could be our home. I know it's nothing now, but this could be our home. And through the sequence, he shows her where everything's going to be. Look, this is where the kitchen's going to be. It's where the couch is going to be. And he's kind of miming bringing things in. And it's all done in this one beautiful sweeping shot mm. that very perfectly illustrates exactly what he means without anything actually being there. And it is a sequence that would have been so meticulous to direct, yet I I guarantee you that you won't notice the first time you watch it, everything that's going on in that scene to make you follow along. What a brilliant piece of directing. Yeah, what I felt from that and like the, the rest of the directing from the film was that it felt like a stage play. 
the way that everything was set up, as you were saying, and the way that the characters interact with each other and their surroundings, it felt like I could be watching this on a theatre stage. And that gives it something extra. It's the way the characters move in their space and the way that they talk to each other and it's directed to the camera that, yeah, it just felt so special and different from a film. Let's talk about the performances. Who's in this? The two leads aren't any spectacular, huge movie stars, but every actor that is in it is in kind of like a pedigree of their own. Even smaller roles, like there's a friend of Funny played by Brian Terry Henry, who you may recognise from Widows or Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or even Atlanta at the moment. He is like the emerging star of the kind of black independent film scene at the moment and he has a really pivotal role. Weirdly, James Franco was in it for, for a few moments. Ed Screen, who is also in Alita, is in it. So none of these are huge. It's Dave Franco. Da- Sorry, Dave Franco. The brother. Yep. Yeah, he's so forgettable. I always think of James. It's Aww. good lord. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not they're not huge movie stars in their own right, but collectively it's one of like the best emerging casts uh-huh. I've seen in a while. Tisha's father is played by Coleman Domingo, who mm. you might know from Fear the Walking Dead. He's really great in it as well. And your classic stereotypical idea of a, a dad finding out his daughter is pregnant to an unwedded guy in jail is completely the opposite. He's yeah. just such a wholesome positive character. He is actually my favourite character as well. And that was my favourite scene because you're right, you have an expectation and it kind of flips it on you. Yeah, that's all the characters as well. This whole film is this expectation of what you think dangerous black men in America, quotation marks, and just completely flips it and is like, no, these are real people. These are the real stories. Who should see this film? If you were a fan of Moonlight or... Like, say a leader looks too much flash for you, then this is almost, I guess, the exact opposite. Yeah. This is very small scale and this is very human drama. Something emotional, something that's slower paced, that gives you the time to enjoy it. And the music is great as well. Everything just comes together so beautifully in it. Hello, welcome back, Miss Davis. Thank God this one didn't die on me. Starting today, no more drinking at work. Hey, that's too much information. I didn't say anything. I feel weird after last night. Yeah, that's what happens when tequila meets desperation. Okay, stop saying things you shouldn't be saying to your boss. Holy crap. Can you hear my inner thoughts? I can hear your inner thoughts. Now, there's a couple of movies this week that we actually haven't seen yet. One of them's a horror, so we'll leave that for now. (laughs) The first one, Tracy Morgan has been through a tough time, right? The SNL and 30 Rock comedian was in quite a serious car accident, which derailed things for a while. But he's fought back to late show appearances, world tours, and movies such as What Men Want, in which a woman can hear the inner thoughts of men. So let's get the hack jokes out of the way at the top. Is this a silent film? (laughs) It could well be, but you you never want to know what men are thinking, obviously. But this is a gender reversal of the Mel Gibson comedy from the early 2000s, Mm. either late 90s, early 2000s. Whenever Mel Gibson was still popular and accepted as <laughs> yeah. as a leading a man, I guess. Yeah. That'll tell you how long ago it must have been. And this is kind of a, a bit of a trend that's been going on lately to kind of refresh things by giving them a gender reversal. Mm. Uh, you know, Ghostbusters have tried it. Uh, Ocean's 8 has done it as well. And I think it is just an interesting way, if maybe a quick cheating way, to show a concept from both sides and make it interesting again. Because immediately as soon as you swap it, you go, oh, I can already think what kind of stuff this might bring. I think even the original Mel Gibson one, even though it's a classic and everybody knows it and probably has seen it, it relies 
too much on gender stereotypes. I don't know if that's something that we need these days, but it is really good to see a black female lead, especially in a comedy. We just do not have Mm. those. So it's breaking some ceilings and I guess you've got to repeat something that is popular to gain the traction to do more. Taraji P. Henson who is the main lead in this, it's good to see she was a star for quite a while in America. And there is this kind of level of star in America that doesn't quite break it into Australia. And it wasn't until Hidden Figures here that people started to know who she was. But Mm. before this, she has all the credentials. She was in Think Like a Man and Think Like a Man 2, which were huge hits in America. But since they were always kind of seen as predominantly uh, only appealing to like a, a black American audience, they didn't think there would be much appeal. And I love that they've now realized that that's not true. You don't only relate to people of your gender or your race. And and the fact that she can now lead an international hit like this, I think is awesome. And with the support of Tracy Morgan, who is obviously an international name. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's so and, good to and see And that him. he's in the second role. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's so good to see him just back in general because he's just like a real ray of sunshine. I am interested to see Tracy Morgan in a more mainstream film. Traditionally, he does do things where some people would look at it and go, what is happening? <laughs> what is he doing? Why is this funny? <laughs> so to see him in something that's going to be like a, that, well, to me, looks like more of a standard rom-com will be pretty interesting. Like who directed, how do you control that man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the poor director. Every, I think most people have probably seen at least an episode of 30 Rock by now. Yeah. And by all accounts, his personality is that character, unruly. Mm. And you're right. Just trying to get him to stick to the script. Exactly. I imagine it would have been like, yeah, Tracy, that's very funny. Yeah, but you yeah. do need to say this line to get to the Yeah, we've only got too much yeah. to shoot this. So let's... Uh... <laughs> So who should see this film? If you normally come to like a Flicks with the Chicks event that we have every month and that that kind of thing, it looks a a bit trashy and a bit fun and if that's your bag, then this looks just for you. Yeah, a whole lot of trash. I think you just want to take a (laughs) bunch of friends. Just something you don't really have to think about, just a bit of a laugh. Also in cinemas this week, On the Basis of Sex. A story about the early career of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The Supreme Court Justice. And Cold Pursuit. A kind of a crazy Liam Neeson action black comedy. You can hear about both of those by clicking on the previous episode in whatever podcast app that you're in right now. Dude. Oh. I am tripping right now. I feel like I've totally lived through this day already. Deja vu? Yes. A day reset when you died, right? Yeah. I might be able to help with that. I died 11 times. I was stuck reliving the same day over and over again until someone wearing a baby mask murdered me on the night of my birthday. Turns out it was my roommate, Lori. I kicked her crazy ass out a window and killed her, which broke the loop. But now I'm living the better version of my life. So the other one you haven't seen yet is Happy Death Day to You, which is a horror film I have not seen the trailer for and know nothing about. But I can tell you this clinical information. It is a sequel to another horror film I haven't seen from 2017. <laughs> it stars Jessica Roth from La La Land and Ruby Modine from the TV series Shameless, both of whom were willing to read the script. And it's in cinemas now. That's all I know. <laughs> Look, it looks actually funny from the trailer. I haven't seen the first one either because I wasn't a fan of horror and slasher, things like that either. But since doing this podcast... Contractually, you have my, to. <laughs> yeah, that as well. My mind has opened a little bit. So I was like, oh, I should probably watch the trailer. 
and it looks really funny. So it's after the event of the first movie and this girl called Tree, which is brilliant, re-enters this time loop, kind of like Groundhog Day, and all her friends keep getting killed and she has to save them. So the comedy comes from this, like, she's getting frustrated with having been murdered all the time yeah. and that her friends are getting murdered all the time. It's not like a tacky parody movie, like scary movie or anything like that. It's, it's more realistic comedy. The original Happy Death Day, much to my surprise is actually fairly decent because the premise is so dumb. <laughs> you know, it's it's Groundhog Day but of a girl getting murdered. Yeah. But it, I think importantly it comes from Blumhouse, which we've talked about a few times. They're really good at micro-budget uh, horror movies. Upgrade was one that we've talked about on this show. They take a director that has a very specific idea and they're like, do it. You do exactly what you want to do. And that's what Happy Death Day is. Just with the money we can scrounge around from the car in our pockets. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I think that their biggest budget film they've ever made, I think, was $10 million, which in the land of Hollywood is is nothing, nothing. Yeah. Uh, which I think was Get Out from, from memory. Yeah. And it's uh, catering Yeah, a James Cameron film. <laughs> its tongue was so firmly in its cheek in the first movie, it knew it was ridiculous. And the modern like allegory that it is is Scream, which was a satire of slasher films in the 90s. Yeah. And that film didn't take itself particularly seriously. But also it respected that you were here to see a horror movie and still gave you scares. Yeah. And what I like about Happy Death Day to you, apart from how good that title is, because <laughs> yeah. the whole purpose of the first film, she's repeating herself, repeating herself, repeating herself. And Happy Death Day to you looks like it starts mere seconds after the other one finished. Like the, the moment yeah. the other one finished, this one starts again. Like Back to the Future. Like Back to the Future 2, exactly. All the Incredibles. I love when a film does that and it looks like she's getting stuck in this loop again, but this time she's not the only one and you're now seeing the day through a couple of people's perspective, which I love that widening of the net. So who should see this film? It looks like a trashy version of Pretty Little Liars. Teen girls, all this murder and thrill and stuff, but it's got the comedy aspect to it. And I'd like to see how many different ways someone can get murdered before it gets boring, like how many... Ways are there? That would be interesting. Or if you're a fan of Jason Blum and all that Blumhouse do with these kind of interesting, weird horror movies you don't always see, then check it out because they're always, if nothing else, something really interesting that you haven't seen before. For your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, go to Facebook or Instagram, leave us a comment on the Cinema Crew post answering the question. Well, we've talked about Robert Rodriguez, James Cameron, Barry Jenkins. I want to know who's your favourite director. Leave your answer with the hashtag Cinema Crew and you could win. Next week, Stan and Ollie sees John C. Riley and Steve Coogan as the original comedians, Laurel and Hardy. And we will be, what, three days away from the Oscars, so Oscar predictions. We'll go through all the categories, find out which ones we think are going to win. Anyway, that's next week. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Thank you. I'm Karen Wheatley, and we'll see you at the very least. You'll hear us next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.